0: Gast. Gast. What What is needed is awareness, right? Because let's go back to Jung. Jung teaches that what is left unconscious in the internal terrain that needs seeing will project into the outside world and get our attention through our what? Through our relationships, through our lovers, through our friends, through our intimate partners that we're potentially wanting to create a family with until we get its attention on the inside world. So, just to summarize this, what you're saying, Nathan, I must go in. I must go within. If I'm seeing dysfunction mirroring itself in my outside world, let's make it simple. Take that first step and go inside it. Welcome beautiful souls to Season 3 of the Cosmic Love Antenna with your host Harrison Ma. I invite you on a mystical voyage from the intellect to the soul, delving deep into the mysteries of love's spiritual essence and its divine unfolding. This podcast celebrates the peeling back of heart layers, revealing beautiful profound lessons, interviews with loving spiritual seekers and practices and tools to open up your heart to love's infinite wisdom. I'm so excited to have you and grateful that our hearts have connected. Enjoyed the show. Good evening, morning, afternoon, magical beings. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to another rebroadcast episode where today I had the pleasure to be held, to be interviewed, to have a chat with a friend on another powerful platform, this time with the amazing and loving Nathan Riley, OBGYN on his podcast, The Holistic OBGYN. Today, in this episode, we had a conversation around all things cosmic love and my cosmic love antenna. What does this actually mean? What is the deeper spiritual connection behind a lot of the work that I talk about? We also went into topics such as Maslow's Hierarchy, emphasizing the importance of well-being, talking about the significance of inner child work and the sacral space, how orgasm allows higher self and divine presence within us to transcend current limiting consciousness and illusions. I also explain a little bit more about my shift from atheism to deep spiritual alignment. There was so much more in this conversation, so I won't spoil it. Make sure you stick around to the end, and if you enjoy Nathan and everything he's doing on his platform please go check out his podcast and give him some love regardless tune in tap in and enjoy the flow
1: connection and intimacy is a critical aspect from fertility from the preconception you know on your phase while you're on your fertility journey all the way through the postpartum phase all the way through the parenting phase of your lives and if you can't start with loving yourself and being willing and open to accept love from others, not gonna get very far. So fortunately, one of my new friends, soul brother, Harrison Marr is here. He's the author, he's a spiritual love coach, but also he's the author of a great book, which he sent me a copy and I I devoured it. It's called Your Cosmic Love Antenna. Um, You can find everything that Harrison is working on at Harrison Marr, which is spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Harrison Marr, looks like meager, it's a good Irish name. can find him on Instagram. You can find his book at cosmicloveantenna.com. And um, what we're going to learn in this episode is really, you know, let's let's start to reimagine what masculinity really stands for and how we as men can feel confident and comfortable um, and really embrace the opportunity that is accepting and um, giving, let's say, showing up in the world starting with how we love ourselves and one another. Harrison, it is uh, it is awesome to see you here. You're a fellow fellow Czech practitioner. Mm. You have learned from some very wise people and you sent me a copy of your book. Um, why don't we start there? Tell us what's the name of your book and, and um, why is this important to share with the
0: world? So my book is, you can, I think people can see it on the live little, a text coming up for the people on the podcast. My book is Your Cosmic Love Antenna. And this creation for me, if you talk to my mum, has been birthing ever since I was born. (laughs) It's been inside of me for a long time, but very recently I decided to step in and share it with the world. And put simply, the book itself sets the intention to help the reader's really define what love is for them i i grew up as a little boy that was very confused around his higher power and fast forward many years i came back into a reacquaintance with my higher power being that four-letter love word so the book takes readers on a journey of reacquainting themselves with that unique frequency of love that is in their heart
1: yeah it's beautiful you know when i met you you're a very gentle human but you strike me as somebody who has this this incredible power i just i just read uh richard hawkins book force versus or power versus force and there's there's tremendous power in in what you've shared in your book so um in order to give to sort of illustrate what i mean and what dr Mm -hmm. hawkins means in that writing is that most of what we experience in our lives uh, as as sort of authoritarian, uh, uh, let's just say authority or, you know, the powers that be comes through mm-hmm. the lens of force where people try to kind of coerce you to do things. But there's tremendous mm-hmm. power in just knowing who you are and kind of what you stand yeah. for, which really comes out through your work here in the book. I know that you're a fan of Carl Jung. So let's talk a little bit about that first. One thing mm-hmm. that a little snippet I took from your book was reparenting your inner child which takes Mm. shadow work to a whole nother level. Um, Why don't we we start there? Why don't you just reflect on that a little bit?
0: So it's in my journey, one of the most substantial, if you want to call it modalities or rememberings, was starting to reparent my inner child. And the reason I think it needs to be involved, I feel it needs to be, be involved in any sort of love conversation because that that essence of love that we are it's not we don't gain it it's it's us already so if it's us already we have to ask the question what's stopping what's stopping that love from emitting what's stopping that expression of love being shared with the world and there are many answers to that question i outline outline them in the book but the biggest answer is that traumatized little boy or that traumatized little girl that, for whatever reason, is stuck in this static state of maybe rejection, maybe fear, maybe abandonment, maybe humiliation, and whenever I, Harrison, step out into the world to share my love, to share my voice, to share my uniqueness, that little boy inside of me is triggered because... He's still looking for love. He's still looking for that safety, support, and security. And is stopping me from expressing that external love. So, you know, just to put it simply, the inner child comes in as we start to move through that first layer of the onion to come back to that heart space.
1: Yeah. So when we, uh, I, that's beautiful, Harrison, you have such a gift with words. Um, I want to kind of bring I want to bring the audience into this conversation in a way that makes this um, maybe digestible. You know, there's a lot of big, giant bites that come if you're going to get into Jungian um, philosophy and psychology. And, you know, we can get into Maslow's hierarchy and whatnot. But a lot of people, I think, really would benefit from understanding why is this work important for our health? And (laughs) what I want to remind people is that, you know, I know you don't have children yet. But many, many couples wait until they're maybe in their 30s or even 40s to have children. Mm. And one of the biggest things I'm realizing is they want me to get them all healthy because of my experience with functional medicine or allopathic medicine. And the reality is that if your very, very basic needs aren't met, you live through the the lens, which is the second chakra issue, the, this yeah. lens of insecurity and, and scarcity. So mm. maybe you can help relate to people. Why is it Is it important that you can actually express yourself fully through love? I mean, it sounds so woo woo, right? But the reality is, if you can't love yourself, if you can't express love, you can't receive love and we know that that even social networks and your connection to other people is critical for your health, for Mm -hmm. your fertility, for how you give birth, for how you eventually die and everything in between. So let's talk about that first rung of Maslow's hierarchy. Why is it important that we do this work as a foundational principle for living and uh, for living optimally and achieving optimal wellness?
0: Well, so many little directions we can go off there. Nathan, softball questions. We'll just
1: start with I, uh, the softball questions. <laughs> I know.
0: I, I love it. I love it, Nathan. I think this is why I, I'm so pulled to your heart in general, because this is how you play, right? This is how this holistic perspective. So let's, Let's take it to the first root, the first root chakra, right? And the beautiful themes of anyone that's tuning in, I'm sure a lot of Czech practitioners tune to this show and your clients know that the root center governs safety, security, and support. And right. the chakra system, for many of those that don't know, you know, it develops throughout our throughout our evolution right our growth as a human being and that root chakra develops in that childhood phase so what i'm getting at here is if as a child your relationship to love was one in which was centered around instability and no safety being formed and your sense of support being connected to an uneasy environment then that is the internal terrain in which you're functioning from right and this Mm. is there's no judgment here there's no uh, saying that you're bad or wrong what what is needed is awareness right because let's go back to jung jung teaches that what is left unconscious in the internal terrain that needs seeing will project into the outside world and get our attention through our what? Through our relationships, through our lovers, through our friends, through our intimate partners that we're potentially wanting to create a family with until we get its attention on the inside world. So just to summarize this, what you're saying, Nathan, I must go in. I must go within. If I'm seeing dysfunction mirroring itself in my outside world, let's make it simple take that first step and go inside and start from that root center. Mm. Yeah, most people who listen to
1: my show either have kids or they're hoping to have kids. And I think us as men have oftentimes the sort of quick, emotionally unavailable, Mm. strong, tough guy attitude. Mm. Uh, that our fathers, that our friends, that our colleagues, that our grandfathers, all of the men in our lives have sort of imbued us with, that this is how a man shows up in the world. When a man shows up that way for a young child, I think we're sort of projecting those conditions, right, onto these children. Mm. Can you share something around your childhood in which you can kind of reflect that if you were a father one day, which I presume you will be and you're going to be an amazing one that Thank you, it would kind of be a guidepost for you as to how you would want to show up kind of reflecting on what you just described within the shadow and the inner child
0: yeah so in my book I uh, I shared I shared multiple stories but two in particular uh, that sort of stand out in relation to your question and the first is which I, as a little boy, I very much as you were saying I suppressed my emotionality my my beautiful sensitivities because I feared that being emotional, being sensitive, being an embodied male that expressed himself emotionally, I feared that that was unmanly, right as you were saying, I feared that that created a boy, a young man, a, yeah. an adult that was not a man, right? I'm using my fingers here for people listening. And because I held that story, uh, another experience I went through in my adolescence and uh, trigger warning for everyone that's tuning in, I was uh, sexually abused. And a big reason for that in hindsight, as I've done my own healing work, was a lot of this suppression around my sensitivities. I was a lot of this suppression around this emotionality. Going back to your question, Nathan, in terms of how I would support my children is I would create an environment where whether they were a male or a female, that they could fully embody themselves as all that they are, right? Because if we are at the essence, a consciousness of love, we are a consciousness of love that is unconditional. So as we are growing through the physical form, being a parent, what, one of the biggest gifts we can give to our children is creating a state in which they can be themselves fully.
1: Mm. Yeah, it kind of brings up you know, a lot of Rudolf Steiner's teaching around anthroposophy and Waldorf education, um, I'm studying anthroposophic medicine, and these, these concepts bleed between biodynamics, also out of Steiner's work, the Waldorf education system, and this medicine program. And one really important thing is while the child is developing for perhaps the first nine years of their life, to not force their, uh, let's just use the word mind, to force them to learn certain things, to put those forces towards memorizing um, figuring out syntax and grammar and all of this, but actually just to let them express themselves as children. And in a world that incentivizes productivity and your income and your material wealth and all of that, while I don't mind those things, I like having enough money to travel and buy things and all of that. I think back to my childhood, and my mom always bo- boasted that he was reading at age four. And I wonder, how did that actually imprint on me? Um, you could use the word trauma, but it's probably not fair to use that word. It's just sort of a disruptive process to the childhood experience. And then if you actually talk about a traumatizing event in a child's life, and they, they lack that feeling of, of security, which oftentimes I think leaves them with the impression that they're not loved in these conditions.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: They grow up to be somebody who's actually afraid to to honor that, you know, this reciprocity of love in their relationships. And we have a we have a nation that is filled with people who lack self-love. There's there's a high levels of depression and anxiety and worry. And it all comes down to that first the first uh, at the root. Yeah. So if a person's listening and maybe they're feeling bad about something they did for their kids or feeling even bad about something in their lives, can you walk us through maybe an exercise? Um, yeah, I'll I'll kind of give you. I'm kind of fishing for you to go through this one exercise, which, which really relates to our fear of worst case scenarios. You know, showing ourselves mm. in authenticity, um, but mm. not expecting the best case scenario either. Yeah. So it's kind of purgatory. Could you walk us through maybe one of those exercises, which can help people really, I think, um, tangibly tap into this? guys. quick uh, A quick interruption here from this amazing interview. I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to tell you very, very briefly about the Born Free Method, which is a program created by Sarah Rosser and I. She and I have uh, become so busy over the past couple years that we have determined we're not able to take every single client that comes our way. So what we decided to do is let's create a group coaching program whereby any couple that has even a glimmer in their eye of wanting to start a family or maybe they're actively pregnant or maybe they're postpartum or you're a birth worker looking to serve other clients and you want to know all of the evidence around interventions, all of the lifestyle modifications that can help to optimize autonomy in childbirth, helping people um, through counseling around where to have a baby, who's going to attend your birth, birth planning. Radical responsibility, bioethics and informed consents, even topics that others shy away from, COVID, vaccines, ultrasound, everything under the sun that we've ever been asked, we put it together into a a self-guided online training program. It starts with 12 months of weekly calls and while you're going through the content, you can come to the calls with any questions, share your insights in our private community, meet other people, don't be siloed off, don't isolate yourself, embrace community. This is what we're sorely lacking in this world. Sarah and I take an equally balanced approach between the data and the spiritual nature of this transformative period that is childbirth. We focus on the moms and the dads, the whole family unit. We talk about care for the newborn, we talk about psychedelics and cannabis use. There is a whole unit just for the dads. There is so much just in the online course, but then again, you're also getting 12 months of weekly calls where we bring guest speakers, we we do some didactics, there's plenty of opportunity for Q&A so you can get all of your questions answered, either by us or one of the many people who've been there and who are on this journey with you in the program. Program. Mm-hmm. If you want to find out more and and learn from Sarah and I, bring us into your care team. Go to BornFreeMethod.com. We'd be happy to see you on an enrollment call. We'll get you booked that day and, um, and we can answer any questions that you have as well. So find us at BornFreeMethod.com. I don't mm-hmm. want you to miss out on the content, on the calls, on the guided meditations, on the exercises, on the checklist, on the 250 plus citations. Go to BornFreeMethod.com. We'll see you there. All right. Let's get back now to my conversation.
0: Yeah. Can I can I hit on a one point though that you just said? Oh, I please think please. I just I wanna I'd love to share that example, but I just wanna I want to give another example because you were talking about expressing yourselves as a child and the the play and the and the almost the I would use the word ecstasy and pleasure needed as a child to fully sort of heal because oh ecstasy is perfect those kids yeah. are just
1: boundless ecstatic energy
0: <laughs> yeah so I want to I want to this is the point I want to hit on here I want to connect two dots that was really sort of a a mind blowing moment for me that when I started doing this love work and particularly the inner child work. We've been talking about the, the root center, but I want to go up a little bit to the sacral space. And yeah. in the sacral space, and you have that be- beautiful womb uh, light behind you that I always look at now, and it's, it's such a beautiful example of what the sacral represents. But I want to tie two points here. There is a reason that inner child work and sexual sexual intimacy, sexual pleasure... They're in the same space. One of the core inner child needs, and this is what I'm getting at here in relation to pleasure and ecstasy, one of the core inner child needs that I didn't have met, that most people don't meet, is sexual expression, sexual healthy sexual connection as the child develops, right? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, pre-adolescence, exploring the body, exploring sexual pleasure and what that in a balanced way looks like. Most of us, myself included, we either suppress our sexual education due to religion, culture, government, etc., or it's pushed into the hyper-stimulated through pornography and, and, and abuse. So I, I just tie in this little point here, Nathan, for all your listeners. One of the core ways we can meet our self-love needs is connecting to that little boy or girl that suppressed a lot of their ecstasy, their pleasure, their sensuality, and asking that inner being, okay, how can I bring some balance back to this? How can I bring some pleasure, some ecstasy back to that inner child need? Mm. I
1: Does
0: have make, to just come out and say it.
1: Yeah, I, just, I have to come out and just say it here. If anybody listening has ever used ecstasy, May, Molly. There's a feeling that comes. So, you know, Rick Doblin, not to get too like, you know, the guy with the tattoos and everything. By the way, what do you think of these tattoos, huh? (laughs) I love them. I love them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just was sitting in the pain cave for 15 hours in Austin getting this, and there's quite a bit of meaning there, but we'll talk about initiation later. I was I was gonna go down a a little tangent, but uh, I I realize that it sounds it seems a little strange that a person who's a doctor is talking about these types of medicines, but even some very, very smart, way smarter than me people like Rick Doblin yeah. of MAPS, yeah. he once described MDMA as the probably the most important synthesized chemical that human beings have ever encountered. Um, that we've ever developed in a laboratory setting. So it's completely synthetic. But the reason he said that after doing every other psychedelic drug and everything, you know, that he could find, finding MDMA, he realized that this was an important element for so many of us to actually be able to sit and be present with love. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but um, to achieve that in a society especially with maybe a history whereby you have felt ashamed of expressing yourself fully or emotionally, or even being completely open and vulnerable to have true intimacy, like real orgasms. That is a tall task. And then suddenly MDMA enters your system. And every you see love everywhere you see love in your in your partner, you see love in the mirror, you you feel love touching yourself. Yeah. There's something really important to that, but why are we so detached from that? Like why is it so yeah. unbelievable to feel that with a chemical substance? Like yeah. like how did we get so far removed from this simple act of loving ourselves and other people?
0: I have a theory with that, Nathan, and I uh I, I talked about this in the <laughs> Yeah. I I talked about this in the book. It's I don't think it's a I don't think it's the drug subject. I think obviously that has a lot of thought forms and belief systems around it. And they definitely exist and I see them in culture. But I think there's a bigger thought form. I think there's a bigger belief system that underpins this disconnection between sexual, sensual intimacy and deep spiritual love slash power. And I think we can root it back to a lot of, religious persecution right and i will be the first one to put my hand up and say i think there are profound mystical loving foundations of all the world religions but i also think that there are there is there is much fear consciousness and ancestral trauma that is specifically connected to this sexual love topic has separated the divine from intimacy, the divine from sexual orgasm, the divine from sexual play and pleasure. So when we start to connect to that area of our body, that sacral space, with the intent of loving either ourselves or loving another person, there there is no conversation around divinity or higher power or higher consciousness because there's so much unprocessed trauma for most of us in that whole area. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, I remember reading recently in a book called Functions of the Orgasms by a doctor named um, Michel O'Donnell, who in the birth community is quite well known, but he wrote this book and there was a passage in that book that related the epic of Gilgamesh to mm. oxytocin, the love hormone. And it told the story of Enkidu. I'll make it short because I want to get into the, the cosmic love antenna next. Um, so Enkidu is this wild, wild man, you know, he's out living, he's raised amongst the beasts and the flora, you know, of the wild and the trappers are frustrated because he, you know, is helping Enkidu's is helping the animals escape the traps and this and that. And so Gilgamesh, King Gilgamesh says, why don't you tempt him with a harlot? And so they do. And Gilgamesh lays with this harlot for four days and three nights and obviously has probably the wildest time of his life. And then he tries to go back into the woods and the animals are now afraid of him and he's crushed. Mm-hmm. Like his whole identity is shattered because he's submitted to this experience of laying with a woman and having mm-hmm. intercourse and whatever else they did, you know, it'll probably be left unknown. <laughs> and so he goes back to the harlot, and she says, you know, in Kido, now you are, you are closer to God I mean, you are yeah. God, like you have to see that within yourself. But that yeah. self-realization actually is the heart, is really the central tenet of every major religion, yeah. which is that once you can see God within yourself, you kind of rise above. And it doesn't mean that he's better than the animals. It's the animals now respect him as something divine and different yeah. from them. And the whole the whole purpose of me telling this story is that through orgasm we're probably getting as close to a divine experience as men a true orgasm not just like jacking off in your bathroom but like a true a true uh full body um open to um the possibilities of being hurt the possibilities of of reaching ecstasy in our intimate moments with a sexual partner that might be as close as we can get to actually a a, a unique audience, um, private audience with God Himself or herself, so you know, that might be all conjecture, but there's actually something to that. Do you want to do you want to comment on that at all?
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, there's so much to this, Nathan. This might be another conversation for another time because there's so much to this, and I love speaking about it. But I'll just say, I'll throw I'll throw in this piece. I think in French, uh, orgasm is referred to as la 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 pite more i'm butchering the pronunciation for it but the translation for the french word of orgasm is the little death right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the little death we have to ask ourselves the question the death of what the death of the ego the death of the current identity that you think you are the current persona the current mask the current limiting consciousness if you want to call it that that you have lost yourself in so what does that what does that mean that means that orgasm is is exactly what you're alluding to when we move through that sexual sensual ecstasy filled experience we are in many ways allowing the higher self the divine presence the power of god that exists in our heart through in that moment through all of the current illusions that we may be getting lost within yeah beautiful
1: Oh, all right well let's yep. let's yep. uh you and i can riff like this for hours and uh yep. our producer jeff is probably like what the hell are these guys what talking about <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not, not going to put him on the spot. totally
0: or oh, he's getting totally stimulated and activated by this conversation. Mind,
1: mind, <laughs> mind blown. blown. <laughs> yep. There he is. Yep. Thanks, Jeff, for there chiming in. <laughs> um, let's talk about you know the title of your book is very intentional, the cosmic love intent. I think a lot of newbies to spirituality, you know, a lot of people who find Paul Check's work. Um, a lot of you know, for those who don't know, Paul Check really kind of started in the in the you know, pounding ground, hard exercise, getting the body working optimally, healthy food, healthy movement. But he has over his career developed some very, very in-depth insights into perhaps the facade of contemporary Christianity and how going back to Christ consciousness is actually at the seat of what we all really, really want and the really, really the world really, really needs. Um, but I think many of us in our, early in our adventures into the, the spirituality world, I personally came kind of from like almost an atheistic way of showing up in the world, believe it or not. And then slowly had to find my way. I, I was wondering about that, uh, in, in, you know, in your personal story, but you know, we, we oftentimes I think find ourselves in a space where we see this whole thing is just like kind of nihilistically, like it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter anyways. I'm, I'll get to do this again, maybe, or maybe it doesn't matter at all. And I just get one shot at this and, you know, it all falls apart at the end and I become worm food. So the term meat suit has come, you know, kind of a buzzword, like forget about the meat suit. You're, you're not your body. And that's true. However, you do a very beautiful job of helping to understand the outer versus the inner, which in, um, in uh, kabbalistic, you know, traditions, you might say, as above, so below. I mean, this is some of the yeah. ancient sort of hermetic principles. So, can you describe a little bit uh, around how? Somebody who's new to the conversation, or maybe even advanced, because you're you're quite in depth in your thoughts here. The external and the internal, and then there's yeah. this kind of thing that is the human sort of this tension between the two. Let it rip! Like I kind of just yeah. want to hear you come off the cuff. Because you described yeah. it beautifully here. I'm not going to read it from your book.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll flow from this, Nathan, because this is really the crux of what I, what I write about in the book. Or if you pull the pieces together, it's what it creates. It's what I do in my coaching. It's what I do on my podcast when I interview beautiful men like yourself. I, the cosmic love. I think for many people in the spiritual world, that's not a new thing, right? It's even for new people stepping in can have some semblance of cosmic love is this, as you said, this sort of airy-fairy spiritual height. But the antenna analogy, I think, was a beautiful way to ground and connect two very important things, which is what you alluded to. The very profound, powerful all knowing all eternal spiritual being that we are and the very important the very beautiful the very imperfectly perfect human physical vehicle that we are and an antenna system mm. has two parts right antenna system has the internal frequency or the internal flow of energy and information and then the antenna has the external structure and form that is inherent in its ability to be able to express that inner frequency. So this mm. analogy, very simply, in in my view, from my heart, really describes what we are. And you know, without without going too much deeper, I'll throw it back to you. But it just shows that. When I got into the spiritual world as you described there are so many powerful teachers that are highlighting the need to get to the spiritual heights and do not get me wrong this is how we detach and we remember what we actually are but there aren't as many teachers that are saying come back there aren't as many teachers that are saying let's come back to the earth from those spiritual heights to do the things we're actually meant to be doing here in this incarnation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, going back to the MDMA sort of experience that I just described, you could take, you know, a large dose of mushrooms, let's say. This is sometimes in such an easily distractible sort of environment. Sometimes it is helpful to use either deep meditation, you know, really, really dedicating yourself to something like Qi Gong or something, getting yourself so uh, in such a meditative or trance-like space that you can actually kind of dissociate from the, quote, meat yeah. suit for a bit. And then you can go exploring whatever the mushrooms yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, you, you know um, uh, insights come to you from that space. But I think about the Ram Dasas of the world or the um, Pema Chodrons or the Alan Watts. And the mm. key is not to have these experiences the key is to be able to integrate that into this space that is our job as humans is to balance the spiritual with the material the luciferic versus the aramonic i mean this is really the work of being human and it is the hardest fucking thing to come out of that space and to get back in here and try to integrate it and what i i always ask myself what would Ram Das do? Like, you know, people always say, and you've even written in your book, like, what would how would love act?
0: <laughs> yeah. I I kind of yeah.
1: think I kind of think about Ram Das. Like, what would Ram Das do right now? He would somehow find a way to laugh this off, like the laughing yeah. Buddha. You know? Yeah. It's um it's tricky. So, you know, when we are presented with really challenging things, let's talk about the COVID moment. That was a very hard time. We were losing friends and family. We were going through this tremendous ordeal. What would love do? Yeah. You know, I mean, how does how does one approach this when something hard comes up in life? Like, what is your process for helping people really dial back into mm. what? How would love act?
0: Yeah. Well, you've you've been you've been dropping that little prompt in itself and that affirmation, which again, our our mutual connection, Paul check he espouses so beautifully, and I've taken on to embody in myself yeah it's bringing conscious awareness to the current choice we are making I am currently rereading a lot of uh, Deepak Chopra's work and uh, I'm reading a book at the moment around uh, abundance and affluence and if you could you could take you could take that whole book and Summarize it into one word that he talks about. And that one word is awareness. So in relation to your question, when things are going on externally, extreme things, let's use COVID as your example, and it all seems like there is so much fear, there is so much instability, there's so much trauma going on. The one thing we will always be able to do is bring conscious awareness to both the conscious choices we are making and unconscious choices we are making, i.e. am I deciding to observe the news? Am I deciding to be around all of these unhealthy habits? Am I deciding to not have practices that release negative energy, that release negative thought forms, that release negative suppressed emotions that I'm holding on to. So, you know, just to summarize this, Nathan, it's bringing loving conscious awareness to the current choices that you are making and deciding to, to do something different.
1: I mean, Harrison, you and I are, if we... If- Australia, we would be hanging out all the time. And we'd probably just float off into the abyss, uh, I think. <laughs> uh, I'm listening, I just re-listened to Being Peace by Thich Nhat Hanh, one of the, you know, sort of probably one of the best known Vietnamese Buddhist monks uh, of our time anyways. He just recently passed away, I think, within the past couple of years. But in that book, it's really like goes back to Voltaire's quote, Garden, if we're going to do any better in the world as a whole, we can't go out just trying to sort of evangelize whatever our internal bias tells us is right or wrong. You're, you might be right. You might also be wrong, but it doesn't really matter. All that you really can control is how you are loving others, how you are responding to these, to these moments of sometimes despair. And if, if people think that that's silly, imagine that every single person in the world started with the question, what would love do with every decision from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and maybe even when they're astrally traveling in their dreams, what would love do? we would our world would be wildly yeah. different. And so it would, change it, overnight. A of a, it would change overnight. Right. And even going back to Dr. Hawkins work, when we talk about improving the world, sounds cliche but what we're actually talking about if we start with that question is raising the collective consciousness of the of the planet of maybe the universe i mean who knows um i want to try to get this i want to try to bring us back to something that i think will be really really tangible for people who are let's say showing up as fathers for the first time and maybe supporting a woman going through birth you strike me as a very, very secure man. Um, Even if you're not mm-hmm. a, you know, six foot four, 220 pound jujitsu player that <sighs> has some sort of world record or right, or can split wood faster than somebody else or whatever drives fast cars. Um, When you hear the word masculine,
0: what comes to mind? <sighs> so So as I alluded to earlier, that word has been very heavy for me for a very long time, right? It has been shrouded with a lot of uh, stories and expectations on what I, I think a man should be. And where I've landed now, and I'm really grateful that you're asking this question, is, and I talk about this in the book, I found solace in really centering around the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And what I mean when I say those words for people that are, f- are new to them, I mean the polarities of the heart of God that exists inside of us. Whether I am a physical male or a physical female, I have both those polarities, the divine masculine and the divine feminine. So when, I, when you ask me the question in terms of embodying my masculine, in many ways for me it means embodying that divine those divine masculine traits right those mm-hmm. divine masculine traits of of order those divine masculine traits of creating a container for the feminine to be held the divine masculine traits of going to the spiritual heights receiving the feminine flow of creativity but then taking the divine masculine inspired action to embody that essence into the 3d form so for me that's how i stand in my masculine currently
1: when you meet somebody who's totally new to this conversation do you have any great analogies for how to understand the properties or the qualities of the divine masculine and in the qualities of the divine feminine
0: yeah so i I revert people back to the yin and the yang symbol, Mm -hmm. right? I think the yin and the yang symbol that everyone has some semblance of connection to is, is a beautiful list and traits of a list of characteristics that people can start to attune to. I think we, we place a lot of, again, stories and limiting beliefs around physical men and physical female. But when we can take that away and replace it with, the dark and the light, or the yang and the yin, or the yin and the yang, then those characteristics that we're looking for to embody can start to be formed.
1: Yeah. I think this is really critical for men who are going to become fathers. Um, And I think it actually kind of ties in everything we've talked about, which is that we are Uh, conditioned to believe that we're going to be humiliated or made fun of or seem less like a lesser man if we become emotionally too available in exciting moments, right? And the birth of a child, there is nothing nothing as emotionally emotionally charged as that because because it's scary scary. For one, you're watching a person you love go through pain and while they may not relate it as pain, you see a person who seems detached. They're almost dissociated from their body because the overwhelming experience, whatever emotion is dominant there, is 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 very real. And it's fully, uh, you are fully immersed in the emotional experience of, of having a baby. I mean, I'm speaking from the lens of a woman. So as a man, we generally show up through the con- conventional way of seeing men as somebody who solves problems but there's no problem there to be solved and i think if 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 you mr so and so who's listening if you feel like you want to take advantage of the opportunity of 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 showing up for the birth of your child what you're saying harrison and what you write in your book is actually as important information as david data and john wineland and a lot of these authors out there who have tried to analogize the divine masculine in order to give you permission to just feel into that space. And that's not something I think too many people are incentivizing nowadays. So what advice do you have for these new dads, you know, in in the moment?
0: Well, something comes in that I want to share, and I speak about this in the book, too, is this idea of being a a two-way channel. And I, I want to explain mm. this understanding because I it can apply beautifully to that to this context of being a a man in the in the vicinity of a female that is that is in all all understandings having divine channel through her, right? Because that's what's happening. I know you know this very well, Nathan. I don't need to explain this to you, but you know, the yeah. birth process is is opening to Is opening up to the divine channel of love that you are so God can move through you in the form of this soul, right? So, what I mean by being a two-way channel, when, I'll use me as an example here, if I'm opening up and I'm expressing my voice, and through my voice I'm sharing divine and and presence-filled words that people can feel, in that moment I am channeling. But, All of the people that are receiving that channel, we have to ask the question, how are they receiving it? Are they receiving it because I'm just blurting all these things out and they're just being bombarded by my waves of energy and love or whatever you want to call it? Or are they able to feel it because the same presence of divinity, God, power that is moving through me is also in them? And it's and they're picking up on that transmission. So I take this back Mm. to your example of being a man in the holding the container for a female that is giving birth. One of the best things a could be a woman too, but let's just use a man. But one of the best things a man could do in that moment is open their channel to receive, open their channel Mm. to receive the presence. Of God, divinity, high power, whatever you want to call it, moving through the female in that moment and receive it in the man's channel. And the last thing I would say to this is allow, allow whatever reacts from that moment, right? Because if God is moving through them, if you allow it, God can also move through you.
1: When you use the word God, what are you talking about?
0: Again, another word, right? Another word, that has, <laughs> <laughs> another another word that has just so much weight around it. So when I use God, I simply refer to the higher power that exists in all of us, right? The divine source of potential, unbounded love unbounded energy in many ways that we all have access to. So when I say God, I'm not referring to uh, a man with a beard on a cloud outside of you. (laughs) I'm referring to to this seed of source that, in my opinion, exists in the deepness of our heart that in any moment we can open and expand into
1: yeah that's beautiful man our uh our mentor our friend and mentor paul check is is um preparing his second book which is called spirit gym and he goes very deep it's going to be like 12 volumes i mean it's a it's a tremendous amount of work and um i think it's important for us to remember that what you described you know about god is uh, The answer to that question is almost uh sort of antithetical to to how to ask important questions because you can't know god it's it's one of these things you can call it spirit or source or whatever but there's some motivating factor i was just listening to Nassim harriman who's a pretty wild guy theoretical physicist who found himself at georgia tech and he was in the in the department with all the chairs and uh, the, like the department chair is not a bunch of folding chairs. <laughs> and he had asked, you know, he, he had given the example of, you know, if the universe is expanding at all times, right? And you had a balloon with a bunch of pennies taped to it. And as you inflated the balloon, we have this expansive sort of process happening, this expansion. He's And they're surrounded by all these, uh, he tells this story in a lot of his lectures, but there's all these equations on all the boards, kind of like a, Goodwill hunting, you know, like all these mathematical proofs and all this. He's like, what I'm interested in, everybody's like, yeah, of course, the universe is expanding. He's like, okay, what I'm interested in is which of these equations represents that guy, the guy blowing up the balloon. And he wasn't asking about religion, but they took it as a bit of a religious quip, you know, like, doesn't that explain God? But that's not at all what he was asking. It was if there's a force that's doing this then what is that force? And that is actually kind of the big question that sort of sits at the center of all of our big questions, which is, okay, if this is the process that's happening, then what is setting this process in motion? And I would say, the best I can tell people around even the function of, of the human antenna, this 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 human pillar, um, at, at some point there was a spark of life, there was something that hit this, and I'm not a Christian for sure, I probably borrow from the Christian mystics and the Buddhists and all this other stuff, but the question of what is life is never even really answered when you go through 14 years of medical training. Nobody ever starts with that question. We see the process, but what set this in motion? And I I really kind of feel like, I really kind of feel like we need to get back to that, to that question. And what our mentor Paul Cech would say is that unconditional love is actually what set this in motion, and that is God you know, in a, in a nutshell. So I don't know, I'll let you, I'll just pass the ball back to you. Anything you want to say about that? <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I'm just listening. I'm just receiving. And I just, I could not agree more Nathan. And I mean, what you're describing is a big part of my exploration from I, ex- I said earlier that I was atheist. I was, I became atheist because I was so disillusioned with the, 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 I would say the, the fear-based Christian dogma that, that this God is a one is a man, but two is this thing that's outside of us that we need to appeal to. And because of that I became atheist, but then came back around to what you're alluding to now, this consciousness of love that we are. And I loved your example of in the scene with all the equations on on the blackboards. And to me what it really helps us highlight if we're trying to come to this conclusion or ca- trying to come to this an- answer of what does God, what does a higher power, what does source divinity mean to us? And we're approaching it with our mind. That's already, we've taken already the wrong space. Exactly. Right. And I'm not, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not overlooking the beautiful power of our mind and its necessity in our human existence. But what I am saying is that what our mind knows is infinitely less than yes. what the higher power, higher consciousness, higher love frequency that is in us will ever be able to express. So, you know, just yeah. making all of that simple, if you're trying to come to this answer and you're using your mind, that's the first place to course correct.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a, you kind of, i don't know if you were like connecting to me telepathically uh something was happening there because my next question and, and we'll probably start wrapping it up with this one is in a world where in which we're sort of conditioned i think to associate self with the mind you know and we we, we have we have people like Rene Descartes to thank for that i think therefore i am I don't know if that's actually what Rene Descartes meant, but that that phrase has been, I think, perversed in so many, you know, in every which way. So what I always say about and I read this in your book, so it was one of those those points that I pulled out In, in medicine. I always say what I think is wrong is not a lack of data, not a lack of smart people or caring people, but the institution as a whole is being driven by individuals who have put their heads above their heart. And I'm not talking about geographically, you know, <laughs> in the direction of earth. I mean, they are they are thinking their way through problems as opposed to feeling their way through problems. So what can we do? What can we do? What's our takeaway here? Uh, what are the action points apart from hiring you to, to become everybody's life coach? Because thank God you're here. <laughs>
0: I appreciate that, Nathan. Um so, and I just want to say I really this conversation has been such a delight, Nathan, and I really appreciate all that you are. I was just reflecting on your beautiful energy as you were expressing. And I was definitely connecting into you telepathically because it's just I can't not, my friend. We're very there's a soul family yeah. connection going on here. Um, to answer your question, there's two solutions, two practical things I can give. Firstly, you, know, you you defined it. You said we need to add more feeling into this experience. So let's break that down. What does that actually mean? Well, what that actually means is in any given situation where there is a challenge, where there is a question, where there is a, a possibility to act, before acting, simply asking the question, how does this situation make me feel? Simply asking mm. that question, the amount of people that I have that I have coached and mentored that have never created the space to simply ask that question—how do I feel about this situation? You know—is is numerous. So it may say, seem simplistic, but when you start to apply, how does this make me feel? How does this make me feel to all of the challenging and difficult situations in your life? You now open the highway. You open the highway from the head into the heart. You allow your intuitive guidance to move through you. Because this is the thing, Nathan, our spiritual essence that often moves through the heart, that moves to this intuitive highway, it will never force itself on us. Right? We have to make the choice to allow it through. So that choice can be made in any given moment where challenge arises, right? But the last thing I'll say, and this goes back to the very start of the conversation. One of the main reasons we're not feeling, we're not, we're only using, I would define it, the unhealed ego with all of the thought patterns and the belief systems. One of the reasons we're doing that is because we're in pain, we're traumatized. We're indoctrinated because we feel that if we move out of those belief systems, out of that way of thinking, we will be persecuted. We will be abandoned. We will be rejected. We will be unloved. So the last tip here is doing the healing work, right? Doing the work for whatever it is in your world that is needed to help you feel safe in taking that journey in allowing your heart to open because the biggest reason an individual's heart is not open is not because of an outside thing. It's because we are deciding to keep it closed based off our experiences.
1: All right, Harrison, this has been uh, such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and um, your patience and all the scheduling and everything. Please share where people can find your work, how they can find your coaching, uh, how they can find your podcast. You've got a lot of great, great stuff out there.
0: Well, first of all, Nathan, I want to, I receive your love and I just want to throw it back a little bit here. I, uh, I was really grateful that you invited me onto your show and I am really honored for the beautiful work that you're doing in the world. And I shared with you last week that I, I had a dream about us and I won't go into it now, but the premise of the dream was that you and I were going on all these beautiful adventures together and uh, the the energy and the love behind it was really expelled and expressed in this podcast today. So I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing and the love that you're doing in the world. For people that want to know thank more... You, you're welcome. You're welcome. For people that want to know more about me and my work, uh, a few different avenues. So you can check out the book, CosmicLoveAntenna.com. It's also... In, available on amazon so just google the name cosmic love antenna uh, my website harrisonma.com ma spelled m-e-a-g-h-e-r you can find out about my coaching and all my offers and i'd recommend people check out the podcast same name your cosmic love antenna where i've had the beautiful nathan on for a chat and there's some other lists of powerful souls really sharing their own love frequency with the world
1: Thank you so much Harrison. I'm sure we'll be will be back in the studio again uh, again in the near future, but in the meantime, um, have a great day in Australia. And um, I'm sure we'll be will be chatting soon.
0: I love you my friend. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna with me, your host Harrison. If you gained value or this episode hit your heart, please remember to share this out with a friend, a family member or a lover. You can also leave your love over on Apple Reviews and Spotify Star Feedback. And this helps me spread my frequency to more souls in need. Finally, if you want to connect with me deeper, want to reach out, interested in coaching, please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Harrison Ma, Ma, spelled M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Sending you so much love.